our next guest, our next guest is many things, and I, I will try to condense uh, her biography uh, down to a few sentences, uh, but I think you'll get to know her hopefully over the next hour. Uh, she is She's a writer, a journalist, a playwright, a poet, an academic, an activist, and also a scientist and a doctor. I believe in the biological sciences uh, area. She can connect, correct me if I'm wrong, but her name is Daddy Cherry, and she's joining us uh, live uh, from the United States right now. Nice to have you with us, Daddy Cherry. Uh, hello. Pleased to be on Sunday Wire. Now, it's great to have you, Daddy, and um, I hope I got all that right on your bio. Uh, I left out a few things. One of them is, uh, which we'll talk about later, uh, you, you've published a, a few books. Uh, one of them recently I, I find very intriguing, which is We Have Dared to Be Free, and this is available. There's a link to it on our show page. It's available on Amazon.com, published by uh, the uh, news junkie, uh, Post Press. Prose Press, right? And uh, very interesting story uh, behind this book as well. Um, I think in our conversation we'll get there, but I uh, uh, just want to say, yeah, you're doing a lot of great stuff. And uh, Thank you. And I, I, the reason I, we've brought you on the show is to talk about some topical aspects of, of basically what you've been doing uh, for the last, I would say, six years uh, of your life. And just give us a little bit of an introduction for those people who aren't familiar with you uh, and your work. We have posted a couple of your articles on our website uh, over the last year, but I really think it's important that you probably tell your story, how you how, how life was before 2010, what happened in 2010, and what what drove you to uh, take on this this what this responsibility that that you feel you your mission in life right now. Well, before 2010, I was completely focused on my work as a, as a professor of biology. And I am very interested in, uh, in the natural world. And when I wrote, it was mostly about the natural world, uh, observations about the natural world. And then the earthquake happened. Um, my family in Haiti was, uh, was in a house that was perched on a ravine. And I thought, uh, really, that they were probably dead. I couldn't get news of them. And I began to initially to write my thoughts about what was going on. And then gradually I began to observe the disparity between the news from Haiti and the news in the United States. In the United States, Everything was being set for set up for a huge infusion of aid money, and so Haitians were being presented as being completely helpless. You saw people who were injured, who were covered with dust, who were catatonic. Um, whereas in Haiti, the discourse was about how Haitians had helped each other through the earthquake. Uh, there were kids who had who had torn up walls in their schools to get their classmates out. Uh, it was it was more like that. And over time, as I waited to hear from my family, and as I observed more and more, I, I, I uh, and I saw Bill Clinton, people like Bill Clinton and Paul Farmer speaking on behalf of Haitians. I began to realize what was going on, and then gradually, I began to get news from Haiti. And to, and to write it down as a way to understand 
what was being done to the country, I realized that that the country was being unraveled. And and something happened to me. Uh, it uh, quite apart from the fact that. My neighborhood had been destroyed. Uh, all all the structures, all the landmarks I was familiar with had been destroyed. Um, my entire country, my entire culture was also being erased. And and suddenly I realized I, I had to come forth. I had to do something. And what I could do was write objectively about it. Over time, I actually learned that my family was okay. Uh, and I just kept right on writing and uh, discussing my observations. And some, you know, what, what what were some of the things that you observed when you when you went back to, when you made it finally you made it back to Haiti? Uh, and what you know, what are some of your initial uh, observations? Uh, you know, because obviously you've seen this thing blow up on the U.S. news. You've seen it blow up in the world media. You've seen all the advertisements from Save the Children to this Relief Foundation to this press conference to that announcement of the Bush Clinton uh, Disaster Relief Fund for Haiti. And then what? 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 What did you? What confronted you when you got on the ground immediately? Well, what was happening? Well, Haiti was just was was a wreck. It was it was covered with rubble. People were actually trying to to do things. They were trying to remove the rubble. Uh, people were stuck in these in these uh, makeshift tent houses, uh, and the government was keeping them there as various dignitaries from from various parts of the world visited as a way to solicit aid money. If people tried to clear the rubble on their own uh, as a sort of volunteerism, they'd be chased away. They, might, you know, they were threatened with being shot. This is what was actually going on in Haiti. Uh, the whole idea was to get a huge pot of aid money and then distribute it to various political connections. Uh, this was true for the Haitian government. It was especially true for the U.S. government. And that's eventually what happened. I mean, people people were really desperate. People needed water. People needed food. But more than anything, they, need, they wanted to go back home. They wanted their homes repaired. But instead, they were just being displaced and, and move around more and more and more. And, and so they set up, uh, uh, you know, disaster relief camps, sort of internal refugee camps, if, if you will. And, uh, then, then things like cholera set in. I remember seeing this on the news, uh, very vividly, the cholera epidemic, uh, in Haiti. And then a few years later, I, I read that, that actually the UN, uh, may have played a role in, um, propagating, uh, well, the some of these. Cholera ep- yeah, the cholera epidemic is, is very interesting because, uh, throughout all this, too, uh, there were things being planted in the news that Haiti should expect an epidemic at any time. And, and being a biologist, I started thinking, well, what sort of epidemic could, could this be? Uh, you know, maybe malaria, uh, maybe typhoid, but, you know, there are, there are vaccines for this, uh, no vaccines for malaria, but uh, we, could, we could protect from that by, by uh, you know, clearing up any kind of stagnant water and so on. Um, and there had been no cholera in Haiti, and so cholera was definitely not on the horizon. And, but what happened when the cholera when the cholera outbreak began 
in mid-October. Actually, October 21st is when it was first announced in the news, but the first case actually happened around October 15th. The cholera outbreak did not begin in those camps for displaced people at all. It did not begin in Port-au-Prince, which was where the earthquake happened. It happened quite far away in this completely pristine little town, uh, village actually, called May, where there was a Nepalese camp of peacekeepers. UN peacekeepers. Of UN peacekeepers. And these UN peacekeepers had visited Nepal in the middle of an epidemic that summer. And they were brought back to Haiti with very, very little uh, examination. And then they were set up and they were given a, actually, in fact, they were even given a 10-day home leave in Nepal before they were brought back to Haiti. And, And basically nine days after they came back to Haiti, the cholera epidemic broke and it was an epidemiologist linked it right back to that camp and to um, to sewage from that camp actually leaking into into a little stream that fed a river. That's that's actually what happened. And and the UN of course has always denied this. But when people it takes for you to get sick from cholera you have to actually drink more than ten thousand bacteria. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, for a river to become so contaminated that people not only get sick, but they actually die before they can reach a hospital. Uh, what has to happen is uh, there has to be massive, massive dumping of choleric waste. There's no question in my mind that there had been people with active cases of cholera in that UN camp, and that this has been covered up. That's interesting. Wow. And, you know, one one question immediately comes to mind is, uh, you know, who's taking responsibility if that is the case? Uh, you know, did the UN take responsibility, or is this the type of thing that is just brushed under the rug routinely? Um, are there any other charities like uh, Medicine Sans Frontiers? Are they, are they helping to uh, mitigate this problem? There's a number of other aid agencies on the ground. You know, what happens? Mm-hmm. Does it just break down at this point, or... Uh, the UN has, has never taken responsibility for this, even though they were they they actually were probably the first to figure out that the that the cholera had come from Nepal. They actually did the studies to figure this out quite conclusively, and then they did not release the studies. Okay, but eventually the combined epidemiology together with uh, with molecular biology studies absolutely nailed the cholera to that camp and to Nepal. UN hasn't taken responsibility, but what they did almost immediately is begin to flog cholera vaccines. Oh, interesting. So requiring children to take a, a new cholera vaccine or something like this? That's right. They started promoting oral cholera vaccines, which are actually completely useless. You know, uh, they're not protecting children. Oh, yes. Yes. The UN collects money, you see, and it's actually UN agencies like PAHO, Pan American Health Organizations and UNICEF that that buy this vaccine 
And the vaccine uh, was manufactured by, by an Indian company called Shanta, S-H-A-N-T-A, uh, that was in trouble because it had made another vaccine that had to be recalled and destroyed. Uh, but then suddenly they got an approval uh, in September 2001 to go ahead with uh, 2011 to go ahead with the cholera vaccines. Uh, and soon after that, they got bought up by a very large French pharmaceutical company called Sanofi Aventis, sometimes called Sanofi Pasteur. Okay, this is the company that is now getting all these juicy contracts from the UN for oral cholera vaccines uh, to be used in Haiti that are completely useless because these because the uh, the cholera bacteria change uh, they they change uh, some of their surface proteins fairly rapidly and so when you make a vaccine that's against a specific kind of it has to be against that specific kind of cholera and then that cholera changes and so you are you are actually chasing a moving target mm -hmm. you really can't vaccinate against that and then and then quite apart from that, cholera is, is not a fatal disease, actually. If, if you, the only way it kills, okay, so the, 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 the cholera toxin is, is basically a poison that the bacteria, uh, the bacteria release. It gets, in, it gets into your gut, and it causes you to, to excrete lots of salt and lots of water, uh, so much that you can lose a liter of water per hour and die of dehydration. But this is in the most extreme cases. The, the severity of the disease is absolutely correlated with the amount of bacteria that you swallow, the number of bacteria that you swallow. This is the most, the most extreme extreme cases. Uh, cholera is absolutely treatable. What you have to do is uh, give people electrolytes and, and give them fluids. You see, it, it is completely treatable. As far as I'm concerned, all the deaths from cholera, or virtually all the deaths from cholera in Haiti, are deaths from neglect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and, and with regard to vaccines, I think a vaccine against cholera is fundamentally immoral uh, because uh, cholera is not contagious in the sense that we normally think of about other kinds of contagious diseases that people get vaccinated against that you can, that you can get by casual contact. Uh, you have to actually drink water that's contaminated in, with cholera to, to get really sick. Uh, you can get somewhat sick if you eat food that has, you know, water that has some cholera on it. And so, so basically what they're trying to do is to make it possible for poor people to drink water that is fecally contaminated. And this is fundamentally immoral. The UN. Um, around 2000 and December 2012, I think, uh, actually allocated $2.21 billion for cholera eradication. The UN, which actually has been spreading cholera not only in Haiti, but all over, all over the world, actually, all over Africa, you, can, you follow wherever the UN goes uh, in the world, the UN peacekeepers, and cholera, cholera follows them. Interesting. They're now setting themselves up as as fighters of cholera, which which really it takes a lot of nerve. Yeah. And and they are really promoting these vaccines. They've given uh, they they put up this two point 
$2 billion, uh, and they have Paul Farmer uh, coordinating this. And this is supposed to be a 10 to 15-year plan to eradicate cholera uh, from Haiti. Actually, there was a cholera epidemic uh, in Cuba in summer 2012. They got rid of it in three months, flat. Yeah. Okay. Renaud Piarou, uh, an epidemiologist who makes it his business to go around uh, eradicating tropical diseases all over the world, at one point came, came forth and said, we can get rid of this in six months. But that is not the point. Now the UN has got this nice little pot of money, and they say, okay, we're going to share it with all of these medical NGOs, particularly Paul Farmer's partners in health, uh, his other outfit, GESHQ, which is supposed to be actually uh, taking care of HIV AIDS patients, uh, but it's somehow involved in this. Um, and uh, various various other medical NGOs, we're gonna we're gonna share this with all of you, a nice little pot, and it will be for ten to fifteen years. This is this is what the UN is doing in response. Uh, now, some of this money, I've a lot of pressure. Uh, they said, well, we'll use some of this money for for uh, for wastewater cleanup and and uh, water cleanup and so on. But you you look at all this. For example, Haiti uh, hasn't got green water collection. For $2.2 billion, you could probably provide rainwater collection systems to everybody in Haiti. Uh, this is, but the money would not go to the right pockets. And I think that's the fundamental problem here. And your, your interview that you did uh, at NewsJunkiePost.com uh, with your uh, co-editor uh, and partner there, uh, Gilbert Mercier. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly. Gilbert Mercier, yes. And, 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 if, and well, let me just let me take a quote from this. Uh, this is from you in that interview. You said that. Uh, let me explain. You said you said in the last thirty years or so, especially in the last ten years, Haiti has become a laboratory in which the world's most Reactionary forces and institutions have experimented with methods of oppression, in effect, uh, a coalition of colonial powers like the U.S. and France and wannabe colonial powers like Canada, Brazil, South Korea, etc., and other entities like USAID, who we have covered extensively by, mm -hmm. and UN, NGOs, the World Bank, the IMF, the, the IDB, uh, have latched on to Haiti, and they have done this. Uh, not only to exploit Haiti itself, but also to learn what works in Haiti so that they can uh, take that home and uh, with, use that as a more successful method in this kind of new colonization that we're looking Absolutely. at. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I said this um, before I realized that Hillary Clinton herself had called Haiti a laboratory for building back better. You see, um, and the whole idea is that they're going to take Haiti and make Haiti a model of uh, of what they can do. Basically, how they can completely how they can completely take over a country and wreck its economy. But they call it building back better. They want to completely turn Haiti's economy to export. So Haiti, when I was growing up, was a country where people actually made things for each other. Uh, a lot of people, most people worked in agriculture. People carried food around. People harvested crops. 
planted crops, etc. cetera. Uh, and then you had small uh, business people, people who made clothes, shoes, uh, et cetera. What they want is to set up these sweatshops so that, in a way, what, what you're doing, instead of having people walking around, uh, bartering with each other, uh, bartering their labor with each other, you, you want to you get some cash out of every transaction. And what better way to do this than to get people into some big fluorescently lit box? And that's what they've been doing. They've been building what they call these free trade zones, which are essentially sweatshops. And these places, they get set up in Haiti. They basically don't pay any taxes. They have all sorts of favorable agreements with the United States uh, for for uh, transfer of, of, of their goods, et cetera, and for taxation uh, from the United States. Uh, and this is the things that, that uh, the Clintons have really been promoting. Another thing they've been promoting is privatization. Uh, they, the telephone company in Haiti, which was a source of revenue for the state, was privatized. And the Clintons are very good about sharing the wealth. You know, like the private, that privatization went to uh, actually uh, Vietnam. Okay? And they want Haiti... Haiti is a place where you can uh, you grow crops year-round. They want Haiti uh, to be turned to agricultural export, uh, to, to be a place where they grow mangoes for the United States and corn and, and, and so on for the United States, you see. And in, and in return, well, they completely control what Haitians eat, for example. Uh, the Haitian agriculture, to do this, they had to completely destroy Haiti's agriculture. Uh, one of the things that happened, in fact, with the cholera is that the, what was left of the rice workers in Haiti got wiped out because a lot of the canals uh, that, that feed the rice paddies were actually coming from the Artibonite River and they were contaminated. And these workers, they go to work and they just drink, they just drink water from, from the canals and it used to be safe safe to drink, you see. But, but the whole thing began actually in 1994 when Clinton uh, returned Aristide to Haiti after he had been deposed. He returned Aristide under his own terms. So Jean, Jean uh, let me just clarify. Jean Bertrand Aristide, who was a former president, democratically elected president he, of Haiti, who was first ousted by Bush Senior. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, he was ousted, uh, and then when Clinton uh, became president, Clinton brought him back to power, but under his terms. And one of those terms was that Haiti would relax its tariffs on agricultural products particularly rice, and Arkansas rice farmers would get to dump subsidized rice on the Haitian market. Arkansas, and this is Arkansas rice farmers, you're saying? Arkansas rice farmers, so Arkansas, Arkansas is, is Clinton's state. state. It's the home state of Bill Clinton, so isn't that it interesting? Is the home. Yes. Isn't that interesting? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so the Arkansas rice farmers got to dump rice on the Haitian market, uh, completely wiped out, wipe out Haitian rice agriculture, and now, now they can charge higher prices. And Haitians are actually starving. People are actually starving. I'm not gonna say things like uh, 
food, whatever uh, that people say correctly. People are starving uh, because the minimum wage in Haiti, and this is, this is the minimum wage that was revised only a couple of weeks ago, it varies from 35 cents per hour to 68 cents per hour, okay? And people actually have to eat mostly imported food at this point. And so things have become very, very, very difficult for people because these these factories that Clinton set up in Haiti, they, they hire only a few, a few thousand people. They don't really create jobs for that many people. What they create is a lot of money for Clinton's friends. They're, they're not helpful to Haiti. They're helpful to Clinton and their friends. And so just to add to this, um, so uh, we'll fast forward a little bit, uh, and Jean-Bertrand uh, uh, Jean Aristide was then uh, deposed again in 2004 uh, under George, uh, the younger Bush, George uh, Her, uh, W. Bush uh, in 2004. And according to Jean-Bertrand Aristide, who was taken out uh, of the country, he said he was kidnapped by the United States military and, take, take, yes. and, and taken to the Central African Republic, which is a French colonial, still a French colonial stronghold, uh, and is basically living, was living in exile. That's right. Not long before Aristide's removal, uh, there had been talk of increasing the minimum wage again. And, uh, well, um, he, was, he was removed. Uh, this happened on February 29th, 2004. By June 2004, Clinton, together, Bill Clinton, together with Brazil, and, um, and the Brazilian Minister of Foreign Affairs at the time was a man called Celso Amorim, organized to set up a UN peacekeeping mission in Haiti. So they, they, he, they had had uh, Canadian and U.S. troops to mop up the Aristide partisans who were actually fighting. And then after that was done, they wanted to keep the situation repressed. Uh, they brought in the U.N. troops, and initially they were Brazilian. And soon after that, it became the ABC, which was Argentina, Brazil, and Chile. So he figured out that obviously a marine occupation of Haiti would not work. Haiti is too close to the United States. This had been tried before from 1915 to 1934. Uh, he came up with the idea of using Latin Americans as a kind of Praetorian guard uh, to control Haitians. And Brazil was happy to do this uh, because it hoped to get a seat on the UN Security Council, which it never got. I see. So they, they baited Brazil and uh, drew them into this situation. This this is a perfect example, Daddy, of uh, soft power. So this is a way. Uh -huh. This is a way of Washington exercising its foreign policy through multilateral institutions rather than doing it directly, and then getting the public relations blowback as a result of having their own troops there. For instance, only three hundred miles from U.S. shores. So yes, of course. 
And then you have all these Latin American countries, you know, like, like Ecuador and Bolivia going on about, oh, the great relationship between, between, uh, you know, between Pétion, this great leader of Haiti, and Simon Bolivar, who's their great liberator. But in fact, they were just stabbing Haiti in the back mm. by, by serving the U.S. occupation in Haiti. And these are supposed, and this, these include the supposed leftist countries. And Brazil, uh, being a major one of them, uh, Brazil continued, in fact, throughout all this, Brazil made a lot of money off of this business because they are, they are a major trainer of the UN peacekeepers. So in addition to having their own peacekeepers in Haiti and they're getting paid for the UN, they train the peacekeepers for, for, for all the world, okay, um, and and uh, well, Salso Amorem, when he became Minister of Defense, he was supposed to stop this, but he didn't. Okay, so under under Lula, he was Minister of Foreign Affairs. That's when he started the whole thing, uh, and then after as Minister of Defense under Dilma, he continued it, and more recently. Uh, just last year, he returned to Haiti as the head of, of an election observation mis- mission to observe completely fraudulent elections. Uh, he couldn't have known that Haiti was actually going to verify the elections. Uh, people protested. People boycotted the elections, and in the end, several of the several of the presidential candidates ganged up together and said they would not participate in a runoff. And so there was a verification, and the verification discovered that more than 70% of the votes uh, had been by zombies. Uh, they, they could not be traced. Uh, there were not fingerprints uh, to go with them and so on. So this is the kind of observation mission this was doing. So um, I, as you can tell, I'm not a bit sorry that the Brazilian government is now uh, being attacked for corruption because in Haiti we have known this all along. So, so this is this is interesting because um, you know we we see these efforts by U.S. celebrities and uh, all these major charities uh, doing concerts. Al Gore, uh, Bono from YouTube, make poverty history is the uh, tagline that they they promised uh, back in uh, twenty uh, sorry two thousand eight that they were going to make poverty history by. 2015 or something. I can't remember what it was, but, you know, feed the world, etc. Here we are 300 miles from the U.S. coast, and they are, looks like, running one of the biggest plantations, economic plantations in the world, maybe the poorest country in the Western Hemisphere, is so close to the United States, and it is absolutely being raped uh, economically in a rapacious fashion. And, and openly... Yeah, you know, it we we have this idea that that uh, you know people have power should exercise some kind of fair play um and should you know they'll pick on somebody their size but but in fact even in nature predators they pick on the wick okay and so predators that they're picking on Haiti these are people from much bigger countries much richer countries more powerful countries they are picking on Haiti and not only that, but they are ripping off Haitians. So what I like to say, so, so in all, 
probably about $14 billion were donated to Haiti after the earthquake from, uh, from international donors and from the U.S. About half of American households donated money uh, to Haitians after the earthquake. Okay? Uh, and I like to say what has happened is that Haitians have become the biggest aid donors per capita to the world because they, this money was raised on behalf of Haitians, but Haitians never actually saw it. These people just, they took the money and they moved it from one pocket to the other. But in addition to that, Haiti actually does have, is rich in many ways. Uh, quite apart from its culture, it's rich in its labor. Haitians are very hardworking. In addition to that, it's, it actually is rich in minerals. Turns out that there's a, that there's a mountain chain that crosses Haiti from northeast, uh, northwest to uh, southeast uh, that's full of gold. And, and this is also part of the reason these, these people are there. When, when the earthquake happened, the U.S. ambassador to Haiti, uh, Kenneth Merton, and this is according to WikiLeaks and, and a journalist called Kim Ives, uh, he wrote a situation report that was titled, The Gold Rush is On. And, and basically what it meant was that uh, American businesses were going to make a killing in Haiti, uh, getting contracts, because, well, you know, the American government and uh, remember now, Hillary Clinton became Secretary of State in 2009. And Bill Clinton uh, became UN Special Envoy to Haiti also in 2009. And so the American, between Bill Clinton and Hillary Clinton, they basically could control all aid money that would go, that would go to Haiti. And this is more or less what happened. Okay. 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 Go ahead. Um, I have, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish, but then I have a, um, a question I'm going to ask you about the, uh, the Clinton, uh, global initiative. Go, oh, yes. Go ahead. Yeah. Finish your thought. Well, uh, within, within a couple of months of the earthquake, uh, Bill Clinton forced the Haitian parliament to declare a state of emergency that would allow an organization he formed called the Interim Haitian Recovery Commission to run the country for 18 months. And there would be the ones who would raise all the money, and there would be the ones who would control all major reconstruction projects. And this organization was an organization of foreigners. So Bill Clinton, he gathered all the, all the funding organizations, like uh, the Organization of American State, uh, the UN, CARICOM, uh, and a bunch of unnamed, very wealthy donors under one group, okay? And then he decided, okay, we're, we're going to, Haitians will have some say, but the Haitians were in the minority. Uh, the president of Haiti only had a symbolic veto. He named uh, the 
prime minister of Haiti, who, who was Jean-Marc Jean Belrive at, at the time, as his co-chair, but really Jean-Marc Belrive did not have as much power as Clinton. And the, the, the way the organization was supposed to run is that there, somebody was supposed to uh, propose someone from, uh, from the lower house and, and someone from the Senate and uh, someone from labor and, um, and so on. And someone from the NGOs and so on to to um, to be approved by the Clinton group, and they were they were going to run uh, they were going to run the country. But what happened was so after the eighteen months, uh, the the next person who was in line to be prime minister actually called them literally called them dysfunctional, and the uh, the Senate the the chair of the senate committee on uh, public works called for their suspension and called them a fraud because they had uh, they had had 3.2 billion dollars of projects supposedly approved and they had done five projects for 84 million dollars Okay, and uh, they even tried to take credit for projects that other funding agencies had done, like the European Union or the IDB. And so, and this organization was extremely arrogant. They, they actually blocked Haitian ministers from attending their meetings because the Haitian ministers were not on their list. Uh, they gave themselves the power to grant titles to property and so on. Um, but anyway, that was that was finished uh, by October 2011. It was it was finished. Everybody was on to them. In in Haiti, you see, we we uh, presumably this organization was supposed to be uh, less corrupt than the Haitian government, and that's why it was supposed to handle all the money. Uh, but in fact, there are many many Haitians who are not corrupt and who keep fighting uh, attempts by the U.S. to take over the government. Okay, so where are we at uh, 2010? President Barack Obama, he chooses uh, George W. Bush and Bill Clinton to be the face of the, uh, you know, the, the reconstruction of Haiti, uh, if you will. And, uh, and so how... It's, it's, it's quite a lot of hype, uh, a lot of celebrity, a lot of adulation, um, and, you know, very good for both the Clinton brand and the Bush brand. And uh, also this helped to really launch the Clinton Global Initiative. 